you've spelunked into the Matt Cave. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a quick episode of the Matt Cave. Thank you all so much for spelunking on by this Memorial Day weekend slash week slash whenever you're listening to this. Thank you for being here. I appreciate each and every one of you. Going to get this stuff out of the way early. Rate, subscribe, comment, review, whatever it is, wherever you're listening. It helps out a ton. Please do it. As you all know, I'm too poor to pay for advertising, so I rely on you wonderful spelunkers to share the goodness that is this show. All right, let's go quickly here because it's Memorial Day weekend. First, I wanted to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers getting swept by the Denver Nuggets and LeBron James hinting about retirement. I'm just going to stop you, everyone right there. Don't even talk about it. He's not retiring, period. He has stated for more than like six years or so that he has wanted to play in the NBA with his son, Bronny, who just committed to USC for his one-and-done season. Uh, LeBron is very proud of his kid for graduating high school and for also being the first one in his family to go to college. And so he's going to want his kid to have a great college experience for that one year. And then Bronny's going to come out pro and he's going to, they're going to work some way to get LeBron and him on the same team. Okay. Any talk of LeBron James retiring is, is bupkis. It's nothing. It's a, it's a nothing burger. There's nothing to it. He was just frustrated about getting swept out again for the third time in his career and how he was really the only guy on his team trying in that Western Conference Finals. At least from what I could tell, like he it was him. Like him and Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder did as much as he possibly humanly could on defense, but he's just one guy. So yeah, uh, there's it's a nothing burger about LeBron James. That's about as much as I'm going to talk about it. All right, let's move on from there. Not much else happening in the NBA. Obviously, the Celtics are about to make history. I do think they're going to make history. Game 7 in Boston, Memorial Day night. Um, the Boston Celtics will beat the Miami Heat. I have zero doubt in my mind, especially after the backbreaker that was the last-second tip-in from Derek White, who coincidentally has the worst hairline in sports. Seriously, just just look up Derek White of the Boston Celtics and you'll see what I'm saying. It's the worst hairline in sports. It's worse than LeBron James. It's it's it, it's comedy. So look that up. It's like halfway up his scalp. It's so bad. Anyway, so the Celtics are going to make history be the first team ever to come back down 0-3 in a playoff series in the NBA playoffs. And Kudos to the Heat for taking it where they did. They were shorthanded. They were down two two starters. And then for a couple of games, they were down three starters from their regular season and early playoff run team. So Jimmy Butler took him as far as he possibly humanly could. And depth just ran out. They just ran out. Ran out of bodies, really. All right, so that's about it for the NBA. Um, not much else in the news for the Jazz. Uh, any, like rumored trades or anything like that they're not real it's all smoke being created by different front offices in the nba trying to get something tangible going so that trades can start happening like i said last week everybody wants to trade down nobody wants to trade up so there's there's a a a deficiency in the market there so there's going to be a lot of talk about trades and it is conceivable that the Jazz could package their three first-round picks this year 
to move up to say three or four, but they would have to get another team involved that would send a super, uh, not a superstar, but a very good player to Portland and these other teams because that's what they're looking for in a trade. So if a trade is going to happen, it's going to be multiple trade partners. It could be up to five different teams getting together, getting something out of the deal. But a one-for-one thing, that's not going to happen. So, all right, that is the NBA. I'm going to stop there. Big news on the recruiting front from the state of Utah. Four-star quarterback Isaac Wilson. Yes, that Wilson family, the younger brother of Zach Wilson, committed to the University of Utah this past week for the uh, 2024-2025 season. That is shocking to BYU fans, and I don't know why. Just because Zach Wilson went to BYU to play football doesn't mean his brother's going to. And growing up, that family is diehard Ute fans. They only rooted for BYU when Zach Wilson was there. Now that Zach Wilson's gone, they're not really BYU fans anymore. So it makes sense. And I wish the kid all the luck. I love it because... BYU and Utah were able to keep a four-star talent from the state of Utah in the state of Utah. That's been very hard for them to do just in history. And the fact that Utah was able to do it, and now that BYU is starting to get in the conversation of keeping these premier talents from the state in the state, that's fantastic news. And I want to see that all the time. I want to see those two schools dominate the state of Utah recruiting and make it so that teams like USC or UCLA, Oregon, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, they can't come into the state and just poach. They've got to really put something together to get past BYU and Utah. That's what I want to see. And so I think this is another step from Kyle Whittingham and crew. And Kalani Sataki has been a great recruiter his entire career. And it's really shown out here recently with BYU. So I'm liking what I'm seeing on the recruiting front from BYU and Utah that they're keeping the premier talent of the state in the state. Another thing I want to talk about with college football is ESPN released their futures rankings. It's that point in the offseason of the quarterback position. And both BYU and Utah showed up here. And historically, BYU is always above Utah because Utah is generally ground and pound in defense. BYU is always arid out with quarterback play. But In these rankings, BYU comes in 19th. Um, Not much to look forward to this year because it's Keaton Slovis, and he's a stopgap. It's a good good get for Kalani Sataki and crew because Keaton Slovis has played in Power 5 conferences his entire career, and so the stage won't be too big for him. He knows knows going into hostile environments. He he knows all about that sort of thing. So it's a good stopgap. But moving forward, they're more excited about moving forward than they are about current year. With guys like Jake Retzlaff, um, Cade Finnegan, you've got a whole slew of young guys that BYU has just waiting to happen. So there's a lot happening here. Soljay Mayava Peters did do a position change for the best. If you watch that bowl game, that kid could not throw. He's a stellar athlete, but he couldn't throw. And then Utah. The Utes come in at number 15. Awesome. Cam Rising, obviously. Probably the greatest quarterback to come through the University of Utah. Um, Not terribly hard to say. Obviously, Alex Smith is right up there at the peak. Um, but I think Cam Rising has done more than Alex Smith did. Alex Smith was the the BCS buster 
with Urban Meyer and that crazy good Utah team. But Cam Rising just means more to the program than Alex Smith ever did. And then in the future, they've got a lot of good young talent. Like, I'm impressed with how Kyle Whittingham and Andy Ludwig have really built up that quarterback room behind Cam Rising with guys like Brandon Rose, Bryson Barnes, and Nate Johnson. Nate Johnson is a name to look for because he was a top 100 recruit in 2022. So Nate Johnson could be an X factor for the Utes after this season and beyond for the next few. So that's really cool seeing both BYU and Utah in the top 20 for quarterback futures from ESPN. So that's another cool thing I wanted to bring up so that you can look smart and impress some people at your Memorial Day barbecue get-togethers. So that's that's that for college football. Uh, let's move on to soccer. And let's start with the MLS. So Real Salt Lake actually came is coming home uh, off of a solid three-game stretch of being away. Uh, they didn't lose a single game. Two of the games were actual MLS play, and another was in the U.S. Open Cup, which is like their in-season tournament. And the U.S. Open Cup is where any professional or semi-professional soccer team can enter and have a chance to win the cup. So that's really that's a cool thing that they do in Europe and all the different countries over there. And I'm glad to see the U.S. has started to make it a, a thing. Um, so Real Salt Lake beat Colorado Rapids uh, in MLS play 3-2. And then they beat the Rapids again in the U.S. Open Cup 1-0. And then they went up to Minnesota, and they drew with Minnesota 1-1. And then they come home on on Memorial Day, or no, not on Memorial Day, on Tuesday, and face off against a struggling L.A. Galaxy team. So, the L.A. Galaxy are in last place. That was That's crazy to think of. Because for so long, LA Galaxy have been the flag the flag bearer for MLS. And now they've just kind of fallen apart. So, wow. Um, I don't know if Real Salt Lake has the horses, but we'll see. They are currently near the bottom of the table. They have 16 points and a minus 9 goal differential. It'll take some crazy push for them to get into the playoffs, as well as other teams just collapsing. So, I don't know. I That's kind of where Real Salt Lake is at. So, kudos to Real Salt Lake having a solid three-game stretch. Even before that, it's a four-game stretch, unbeaten stretch, because they drew with Portland before they went on their road trip. So, two wins, two draws, no losses. That's pretty good. Um, you keep getting results like that, you're going to move up the table. But I don't think Real Salt Lake is going to be able to do that. All right, so let's talk about the Premier League and the craziness that was today. So today is called one of two things in the British Premier League, and it's either Survival Day or Championship Day. And the championship was already decided because Arsenal choked it away, which was to be expected. They're a very young team, and Manchester City is a state-run club. So they have infinite funds at Manchester City. Meanwhile, Arsenal is like your regular club. Arsenal got off to that awesome start in the season they pushed way far ahead but then they kind of regressed to the mean and Manchester City decided that hey we're Manchester City we're going to put our best players on the field again and just kind of win so that's what happened there so Manchester City won the league last week due to Arsenal losing to Nottingham Forest but whatever um I wanted to talk about today because it was survival day and there was 
one slot available to stay above the elimination line or the relegation zone, as they call it. So we had three teams. We had Everton, we had Leicester City, and we had Leeds United. For American soccer fans, Leeds United was very important, and it was also very sad because two of the three Americans that Leeds United signed were in over their heads. They were out of their depth. The Premier League, is it was probably just too soon for Brendan Aronson, and Weston McKenney, maybe he's not as good as we thought he was. So, And maybe he was just not played in the right position for Leeds United. He was less of a holding midfielder, and they tried to make him go forward, which isn't his game. So I don't know. It was a combination of stuff. But the only one who looked really good was Tyler Adams, and he's looked so good that the big clubs are after him. Like Liverpool wants him, Manchester United wants him, Chelsea wants him, and Arsenal wants him. Whether all of that's true or not... With European soccer, it's tough to tell who's actually after someone and who is after someone because they want their rival to pay more. If you want to see an example of that, look at a player called Mikhailo Mudrik of Ukraine, and Arsenal drove up the price so high on Chelsea that it turned out to be the worst signing in a couple of years. So let's just say Chelsea broke the bank for Mudrik, and Mudrik did not do anything to support that that massive transfer fee, almost a hundred million pounds. Wow. So we had those three teams, right? Everton, Leicester city and Leeds United. Leeds United basically needed a miracle to stay above the relegation line. They needed to win. And then they needed the other two to lose. That wasn't going to happen. They needed them to lose, not even draw. They needed those other two teams to lose. So And Leeds United was against a very talented Tottenham team who's just recently fallen out of form, but it's still Tottenham. They still have Harry Kane, one of the best goal scorers in the world. They have Son, one of my favorite players who's from Korea. So Leeds United had no chance. They lost 3-0, I believe. And so it was between Leicester and it was between Everton. And I was watching the Everton game, and my goodness... Goodison Park is where Everton plays, and it's one of the oldest football pitches in Britain. There you go, Chris Two of Radio Ronin. I think I said that right. And they were fighting not just for survival, but they had they have two things going on. One is they have the second longest time consecutive years of being in the top flight of British football. Second only two. Arsenal. Arsenal has had 97 straight years of being in the top flight of British football. Everton is second place at 70, so that's how good my team is. How's your team doing? But going into this game, Goodison Park was on a razor's edge. I haven't seen sports fans so stressed out, I think, in my life. I mean, I've watched basketball games where you know you needed your team to win and they were in i've watched american football games where it was like that and there's nothing like football there is nothing like soccer nothing like it in the world and when the everton midfielder just launched a laser beam of a strike into the net there was screaming just screaming not even cheering like screaming primal screams of elation from Everton fans because if they were able to hold on to that one goal lead they were staying in the Premier League 
Goodison Park, this is the other stat that's interesting about Everton, is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, pitch playing ground in Britain. And it is being replaced year after next. So they were playing because they didn't want this, this last game of them getting relegated, to be the final top flight game of football at Goodison Park. So they were. there was a lot of extra pressure on Everton here. Second longest streak of being in the top flight of British football and having one of the most hallowed grounds of football in England. <laughs> and Leicester City went up 1-0 early on West Ham, who they were playing. And you could just, like, the cortisol in that stadium, you could have drunk it. It was, as a, as a neutral observer, as an American... It was kind of tasty. And then that strike that strike from that midfielder, I for, I, his name escapes me at the moment, I apologize. It was a fantastic strike. If you want to see how to hit a volley, look up that Everton versus uh, Bournemouth game and watch for that goal. That's how you do it. The, just the elation, the primal scream, just everything. It was a different kind of cheer. And so Everton's up 1-0. Leicester City goes up 2-0 on their opponent. Then Leicester City gets pulled back to 2-1. But Everton's still ahead. But it gets to the 90th minute. They hold up the extra time sign. It's 10 extra minutes of football. 10. To give you an idea, extra time is generally around 4 to 6 minutes. Because of injuries, substitutions, ball going out of play, that sort of thing. Setting up for free kicks, all of that. Ten minutes because there was injuries. And just the crowd was very angry about it because they wanted the game to end. And the announcers were like, well, it makes sense, right? Because there was that five-minute period where they were tending to people. Like actual injuries, not soccer injuries. Actual injuries. And so once that final whistle went, it was... I, I, on my on my show Facebook page, I posted, this is why football is the greatest sport on earth. And it was when Arsenal beat, I think it was Bournemouth, on, the, on a last second goal. And the Emirates just exploded in joy. Well, Goodison Park exploded. It was a mixed kind of explosion because it was joy... But it was also anger that they were in this spot at all. They should be one of the clubs, at least in the middle of the table, if not towards the top of the table. They've been in the top flight of the of English football for 70 years. They shouldn't be here, right? And so the fans, while they were elated, some of them were screaming mad. And I get it. I understand that. I wish that American sports can adopt that relegation where if you are the Houston Texans of American football you're going down to the XFL bud and the XFL champions are moving up I would love that I would adore that I think that would be amazing will it ever happen no the owners the owners in the NFL would never agree to that um but man survival or championship day in the British Premier League nothing like it in the world I encourage you all, Spelunkers, if you have even a passing fancy about soccer, please get into it. 
It is truly one of the best sports in the world. It's not it's not my all-time favorite. That belongs to American football. But it's a very close second, tied with baseball with me. Like it goes American football, soccer, and baseball, and then basketball underneath that, and then hockey underneath that. Like the game is so great. The emotions are so palpable a lot of the time. And when you watch MLS and you think, oh, this is really fun. This is good soccer. <laughs> watch a European league game. Just any of them. Whether it's France, England, Italy, Germany, even um, the Netherlands, Belgium even, like Sweden. Like those would run those clubs would run circles around pretty much any club in the US outside of I would think LAFC. So that's the show this week, everybody. No video game talk. Um, well, here's some slight video game talk. I have been playing a lot of Legend of Zelda. It's a very good game. Go get it. You'll love it. And if you haven't played Breath of the Wild, get that one as well. Not just so you know what's going on, just because you have like 200 hours of goodness in front of you and you're going to love every second of it. But I've also just started playing just this weekend. I got into Classic WoW. There are a lot of streamers right now that I like. One of them, his name is Duck Sauce. Uh, Matthew Rode is his real name. He used to be a voiceover guy. He used to be an actor. Um, he's hilarious. But I've been watching him do something called Hardcore, where if your character dies, you have to delete them and start a new one. I'm not doing that. Like The character I have in Classic WoW has died like five times. So I, I'm not doing that. But watching them do it has gotten me back into playing WoW. And I've just loved it. I love just the simplicity of it go out, kill this, come back, get a reward, go out, collect these, come back, get a reward, not have to learn all these stupid new transportation things like in Dragonflight, you have to learn how to fly these dragons, otherwise you're not going to be able to get through the zone, you'll get get killed by elite mobs just trying to run through a zone, you don't have to pay an exorbitant fee to do whatever it is, get a, a mythic dungeon key, you don't have to pay a crap ton of gold to do that. Or you don't have to buy a WoW token to sell to get the money to do it. So I love it. I love the simplicity of it. And you know what's even better in this classic WoW? People help each other and they're nice about it. That's not the case in retail. That's not the case in Dragonflight. In classic WoW, people will run by and if you're struggling with a mob, they'll stop and help you with the mob so you don't die. They'll, they'll pass by. They'll give you a heal. They'll, they'll give you a buff. Like, that's awesome. I don't experience that in Dragonflight. I've experienced it nonstop in Classic. So that's what I've been playing. I'd love to hear what you guys are playing. You can hit me up on my Facebook if you can find me. Um, you can also email me. That is thematcavepod at gmail.com. And that's the show, guys. I said it would be a quick one. It's about six minutes shorter than a regular show, so I guess it's not that quick. But I did I did rapid fire some topics there. So if you enjoyed this new format that I did, I'd love to hear it. Let me know. And I'll see you guys next week when we spelunk back into the Matt Cave. Happy summer kickoff, everybody.